Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. Well, this is a big day here. That's all I can say. We are going to record two podcasts with my dear friend, Crescent Dragon Wagon. Hello, Crescent. Hello, Denise. And hello, Cindy, behind the scenes, making yes. it all happen. She made the magician behind the scenes. Yeah. Now, we have to tell people, Crescent, this is so amazing. So coming out of COVID, coming out of a quarantine, Crescent, if you don't know, and we have other podcasts we've done with Crescent, so you can certainly go back and listen to them. Crescent is a writer, a chef, a cookbook author. Um, she's pretty talented. That's all I can say. I don't think there's much she can't do. Not one book, but two books being relaunched. But this is extraordinary. People in public that are not in publishing may not realize just the emphasis, how big that is. Do you know what I mean? Chris, it means that the publishers are willing to do take a chance again. And actually, Crescent's here today to talk about both books. But the first one we're going to talk about is called, Will It Be Okay? And all I can say is, Crescent, I think I will tell my story after you start talking. It helped me this morning. You mentioned um, coming through COVID. And of course, at the moment of lockdown, everybody was panicking. We didn't know what had hit us. We didn't know what lockdown meant. You know, for people with children, it was particularly hard. And many of us wanted very much to do something, but we didn't know what. So without thinking it through very much, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm trying to learn how to think things through beforehand, but oh, well, I'm going to be 70 this year. So maybe <laughs> you're just fine without maybe, maybe, you know, not thinking it through. It's been good so far. That's right. Um, oh, the air conditioner just switched on here. Is that noise? No. Okay, okay great. Um, so, so Mark, my husband and I, well, originally it was me. I decided I would read. Well, first I thought with children staying at home in families, as we all know, families, all families that I know of have little fault lines running through them. And most of them are, you know, you learn to live with or they're happy, but we certainly know all the stories of bad things that happen within the family. And I thought, you know, if there's fault lines in a family and maybe there's alcoholism or somebody's an introvert and everybody else is an extrovert, there's going to be a lot of pressure on those. What can I do that in some little incremental fashion might be helpful and soothing and calm at this time. So I decided, well, I'll do a Facebook Live and I will read a children's book every night until this is over, said I. None of us had any idea. And I did that the first night. And then I discovered that on Facebook Live, it's nearly impossible to read a book out loud because of the way that program has worked. You can't hold up the pictures and read everything reverses and so Mark got pulled into this bless him and he held the pictures while I read the words oh, and sweet. then we would talk a little bit about the book well the first book that I picked we wound up doing it for 108 days I have 28 children's books out 
All the rest of them except one were by my late mother, Charlotte Zollertow, who also wrote for children. And then there was one picture book that his daughter, Mark's daughter, um, Lisa Graff, had written. So we he read hers and I held the picture. Charming. But so the first book that it occurred to me to read was a book that I wrote in 1976, which was when I was uh, 21, I think, maybe 22. And um, it was published in 77. No, I was a little older than that. Anyway, young. Um, you know, I can't, by the way, you were speaking very complex. I can't do math. <laughs> that's, you know that's, that's a real failing it's and a, i think i proved that to you this morning about, <laughs> didn't i about we'll talk about it one day timing okay. and, never mind okay. so um so the first book that i thought to read because i considered it maybe my most reassuring title was will it be okay and we read it aloud and it really was reassuring to me. The, the writer May Sarton once said that she thought the writing is the arrow of the writer. We write to what we will become, but we're not there yet. Ah. So I, I consider this book maybe certainly more developed than I was at the time when I was an insecure, crazy little 20 something. Okay. Um, and so, so in the book, there's a little girl and she asks her mother, will it be okay? And the mother says, yes, it will. And the little girl says, but what if there is? And she goes through a number of fears, thunder and lightning. What if they get snowed in? Um, in the first edition there was, but what if a big dog comes? Oh. Um, but what if snakes come in the night? You know. Anyway, but I read the first edition out loud and it had very sweet pictures, but it was a bit dated. And there were some parts in it that I didn't really feel would work in our world at the time now. For example, well, I'll remind me to loop back to that and I'll tell you one that I changed in reflection of the times consciously. Um, and I thought, you know, if I update this book a little bit and it gets some new pictures because its pictures were very sweet very tender, but somewhat dated. Sure. Um, I thought, I, maybe this book can have another chance. So I did it. It had been long out of print. And periodically, people would write me and say they loved the book and they oh, can only buy it used. And so, and I heard lovely stories about it over the years. And so I rewrote it, retyped it, sent it to my agent. And by God, it got accepted again. And they got the phenomenal illustrator, Jessica Love, to do oh, the pictures. I, I love the pictures. Present. And they are, it, I love the whole book, the, t the tempo, the timing, the her, fi her figures of the little girl when she's dancing in the leaves, all of it. Okay, it's, it's just turned out beautifully. Thank you so I'm much. So, you must be, were you just thrilled to death when you saw the new book? Beyond thrilled. Yeah. Beyond yeah. thrilled. And, and also somewhat disbelieving. I mean, it's, it's proof <laughs> that you need to hang on long enough till, because it gets good eventually. <laughs> now, this is a very important comment that you just said. 
I went back into my folder this morning about last time you were on and one of the best, you said so many great things, but you were talking about fear, that fear is inherent in the process of writing. And I know this for myself, but I know this from so many people that always say, I want to write a cookbook. I want to do a column. I want to write a newsletter, but I'm not a good enough writer or I don't have the, they put, you know, the data, 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 data. So in your mind, if you do that to yourself for 10, 20, 40, 50 years, I have a girlfriend that always says, oh, I'm never going to get married again. And I always say the same thing. I said, not with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, the Fear is actually kind of part of everything. everything. It's, it's one reason why I don't believe in the movements that try to shield children from learning about hard things, bad things. You know, I don't agree at all that you know they're banning, they're asking that that Anne Frank's book get taken out, and you know the things about telling the truth about slavery. The thing is, we are tougher than we know. And if you look at something straight on, then you can figure out what you're gonna do about it, how you're gonna digest it and what you're gonna think about it. And so so in this book, you know, will it be okay is kind of an existential question that we all ask periodically. And you said this, we ask it, I think it, I, I mean, for me, I've asked it at every decade that I've been alive, okay? You certainly ask it in your early 20s because all of a sudden you are a fledgling. If you've been in high school, if you've been in college, and all of a sudden you're supposed to be free. <laughs> now that you Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, free for what? Free not to be able to pay my rent? Free for being, you know, making mistakes? So, but I know... In Every decade of my life, in the beginning of it, when I'm turning that the big three O, the big four O, the big five O, I'd think to myself, hmm. <laughs> and I had fears. Well, and you know, even now, now and this is when I at 71, once in a while I say to myself, like this morning, right before you and I got on, and I had to watch you on tape <laughs> to tell myself that it will it be all right. Yes. <laughs> going to be all right but you know that it's such it is a universal message and I do want people to know one thing the um, illustrations are exquisite the writing is fabulous and you have to tell us how you knew to make changes in the book because I'm fascinated by that but you know what Crescent it's not a children's book <laughs> it's for any age and you say it I think you say it in the beginning or maybe I saw you on tape saying this or on video some moments in the book, I was the little girl, and some moments in the book, I was the mom. So uh, the message is incredibly important. So when you started to rewrite it, what did you, how did you think, what do I have to do? You read it and said, these are the changes I'm going to make? Well, first, I wanted to respond yeah. to some of the stuff. I mean, this is how our conversations go, oh, because no. we both we both <laughs> see lots of dots and we quickly try to connect them all. <laughs> um, well, you know, I um, I think that there is an, a truth in life that we don't want to look at until we're really in it's in our face. And that is the unfortunate reality that anything can happen to anyone at any time 
It doesn't matter if you go to church and pray. It doesn't matter if you visualize only positive things. I mean, you look at Ukraine. Ugh. One day they're they're living in peace and thriving, and the next day, bombs are dropping on them. Yes. You look at mass school shootings, all of those things. Anything can happen to anyone at any time. And we all want insurance for that. And there is none. Yeah. Life is that way. Now, that truth is two-faced, the anything can, because it also means, you know, I got married in my late 60s after being widowed 22 years previously, 20 years previously. And, you know, the you know, the friendships that I have and the way that they have blossomed over the decades, you know, the way writing still fast, the surprise of having not one, but two old books have a new life. Anything can happen to anybody at any time goes two ways. Yes, you're right. And once you accept that, you quit feeling put upon when you stub your toe <laughs> or when you go to the co-op for peach nectar for a soup that you're going to be shooting that day and they only have other kinds of juices. So you go, you go, all right. So, all right, uh, I'll use apple juice, you know, or whatever thing it is. Um, you stop taking personally the, the terrible things because who knows why some people land on everything happens for a reason. I don't know that everything happens for a reason because that would mean a divine power that would be very, not nice in my view, um, to put it mildly. I mean, how did how did Ukraine happen for a reason other than Russia's, you know, how does school shootings happen? Exactly. But I, I, I do think that everything that happens, we have a choice of, we can say, maybe it happened for a reason, maybe not, but here's what I'm gonna do with, with this reality. Here's what, I, and so in my case of reading the books out loud, COVID came, people were locked down. It was distressing. What am I gonna do with this? I just didn't waste time saying, why did this happen? Should it, you know, I didn't waste time saying, right. this should have been done, that should have been, I just. So, um, so and, and we should probably say that the very last question that the child asks um, is, but what if you die? Yes. And the mother answers, my loving doesn't die and the what follows links back to the earlier questions and answers in the book my loving doesn't die says the mother it stays with you as warm as two pairs of mittens one pair on top of the other when you remember you and me you say what can i do with so much love i will have to give some away so you love thunder and lightning snow, planting cabbages, and bees. You dance with other people in the leaves and are in plays with them and run away with them and read books with them and get mad at them and make up with them. You love them and they love you and you eat raisins together. So it will be okay. Yes, my love, it will. It will be okay. Now, that part made me cry, Crescent. <laughs> and I'll tell you why, and this is all, I'm not embarrassed, I'm not concerned about saying this, that everybody that listens to will. <laughs> A few months ago, I said to my husband, 
I'm si- I am in such a sweet spot right now in my life. And yet I don't feel as happy as I've felt at other times in my life. And he said, well, you've been going through this for about a year. You know, it's, it's the re- adjustment to retirement. And I said, it is. And of course, the guilt that goes with this, just give me a crescent because everybody I know says, oh God, you're so lucky you got to retire. Do you know what I mean? And I'll say, I loved what I did, but to make long story short, I've started to see a counselor. I absolutely love her. She's the most fabulous doctor. But the reason I bring that up is when we were talking just yesterday in a little session, my mother came up. And the last words I I heard myself say, you know, if you've never been in therapy, if people don't understand therapy, I certainly I'm not selling therapy, but it may not fit you. But for me, I've done it once before, like 35 years ago, changed my life. So I felt like, oh, I want to I wouldn't mind discovering some things and changing the next 20 years. But one of the last things I said, she said something about my mother and I said, well, it's because I know that no one in the whole world will ever love me as much as my mother did. And I do know that, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I've had a lot of guys profess that they love me. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, to be honest, I know no one's ever gonna love me the way my mother loved me, okay? Yes. For me, for me, I, that's, so when you were saying that, in the book, it just was so poignant to me. Yeah. And I wrote that, as I say, in 77. My own mother died in 2013, in November, and I spent a lot of years with her. And and in those last four years, I spent a lot of time with her. Yeah. And we had had a, you know, scratchy relationship loved each other but a lot of conflict but in those last four incredible years she lost the past to some extent so she couldn't pick over the imagined scabs of all the wounds of things that she thought people had done to her and maybe they had maybe they hadn't she also lost too much obsession about the future so she wasn't thinking will i she had less money than she had for all the years she was worrying about it, but she didn't worry about it anymore. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, we we worried about it. We came up with the money, but um, and so in those last four years, I, it was very thoughtful to me because I thought, you know, you don't have to go live in a cave in India to be here now. Just get old, old <laughs> enough, and you're you're in the present. And if the present was good, so one night late at night, and I'm not sure which of the conversations it was. But I think it was the one where I said, I love you, Charlotte. And she said, I love you more. And I said, how do you know? Did you measure it? And she said, I was here first. (laughs) Oh, how perfect. And we continued talking. And at the end of the talk, I went to go upstairs. And I just started crying and I had the exact same thought that you said in therapy. No one will ever love me like my mother does again. No one. I don't know if I said as much because I think maybe some people love you as much, but in a very different way. Nobody loves you in the way if you are lucky enough to have a mother who, however imperfectly, loves you. It's unique. It's you get one shot in in this life. And when it's done, it's done. So, um, so, and you know, now we're of the age where many people that we love 
have gradually dropped off the planet. And so what do you do with that? You know, what, how do you change the half-life of grief from agony to, 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 to something that you can live and pass on and be nourished by? And of course, you know, I think it is. What will I do with so much love? I will have to give some away. I don't think I knew that at 22. I'm fortunate that I was a conduit enough for that wisdom to flow there through. You go. I hadn't lost anybody dear to me then. Yeah. I don't know how I knew that. I knew when I was little, I used to, you know, I mean, when you're a child and you first start to understand about death, first question is, am I going to die? And second question is, to your parent, are you going to die? Yes. And they're universal questions. And so, so that is, you know, and over the years, you know, I got a letter from a family they took their son to see the launch in in Florida, the Challenger launch. So they saw it explode. And she said that when they got home, he remembered, will it be okay? And he asked his mother to read it to him. And for weeks, that was the story that he wanted at, at, at night. And, you know, this goes to the idea of don't try to protect your children from shielding them from harsh realities. Let them look at it and give them ways that they can learn to deal with it. And I got a similar letter from someone who's, you know, <clears throat> she wasn't in the family. I think she was a babysitter maybe to this family. And she found me on the internet somehow and wrote me. And this child that she babysat for, his mother had a death allergy to peanuts. She's oh. at a potluck dinner. There was a salad that had peanut oil in the dressing. She died of anaphylactic shock. Oh my God. And somebody gave the family this book. And she said, this was the book that he wanted read out loud once or twice every night for over a year. And then finally he said something else. I want, I want a different book now. <clears throat> so what kind of a privilege is it to get to be, and as I say, as a conduit and, and, you know, the really good stuff I've written, I don't feel like I've written. I feel like it came through me and I'm not being modest. I mean, that's the actual experience of it. And the, the time that I wrote it in 77, it was in the late summer and I had had two pretty significant experiences. I went to an international study group held in Austin, Texas, and, um, that it was done in Socratic method. You asked questions and there were answers. And the teacher there was so extraordinary. And when he gave the answers, you didn't just believe them. I mean, he was a conduit. You were thrown into that answer. So that was amazing. And then I went from there, I had a scholarship to take a writing course called Dialoguing with the late therapist Ira Prokoff. And that was in Menlo Park, California. I hitchhiked from Austin, Texas. To Men <laughs> I mean, like, really? You know, really? How did I even survive those years? Because it was a different world and women hitchhiked. Ima <laughs> can you imagine? I mean, I can't imagine. No. Um, but anyway, dialoguing, it's also, it's back and forth. You ask yourself questions what or who you are dialoguing with responds in writing. So somehow coming out of those two experiences, 
one day this, you know, I think I wrote the first sentence and then it did that. So that was then. And that's where it came out of then for me. I was very much a child, I think, at the time that I wrote it. And so in the to the question of how I rewrote it, the original, now I don't have it, I don't have the original in front of me, but I think I can remember it. So the the question that the little girl asks is, but what if nobody likes the way I dance? And the original was, you go dancing in the leaves, alone in the woods, alone in the crackling leaves. One day you meet someone else dancing in the leaves. You dance together. You throw leaves on each other. You lie down in the leaves. Then you go home and draw pictures and drink cocoa with whipped cream. And I thought, you know, you lie down in the leaves is not going to fly at this time. You know, it's just not going to do it. People are going to think pedophile. People are going to think insane. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to. So it became you dance together. You throw leaves on each other. You gather leaves into a big pile and jump into them. And, you know, they're both true, but, you know, why borrow trouble? You know, enough is going to come anyway. You bring up such an important point, though. Kenny and I watched old sitcoms sometimes, like when we go to sleep. We go to sleep between 9 and 10 o'clock. And we watch a sitcom, an old sitcom, a Seinfeld or a, a something from the 90s, King of Queens or whatever. Once in a while, a joke comes out now and we both go, ooh. That would, <laughs> but we still watch the show, and I certainly understand that the, it was funny then. It was funny twenty years ago, even though it may have been at the expense of a woman or the expense of someone else. Do you know what I mean? But not not thrown as a dagger, just more of a joke. Well, so as writers, I'm sure good for you, Crescent, and you had to do that because see, when you read old literature where women were no more than chattel. I mean, if you think of Ellen, Emily Bronte, what she was talking about is if they didn't make a good marriage, those sisters were going to be destitute. Yeah. And it's still, it's still not untrue. I mean, hence we have the ambivalence that uh, as a woman, the one undisputed power you have is when you are beautiful, which Absolutely. By our society means young, you know, people will listen to you. Powerful men will weaken in front of you. If you, I mean, I'm not physically beautiful to where I've had that, but my late father was a biographer for you know, Marilyn Monroe. And, you know, he met Brigitte Bardot and interviewed, oh, yeah. you know, all, you know, incredibly beautiful women. Um, although, although after, I know this is a digression, but we, we roll with those. Although after he and my mother were divorced, and he sued Norman Mailer for plagiarism of the Marilyn Monroe book. It was settled out of court, by the way, and my father got 50 grand for it. Oh, good. We weren't allowed to say it when they were both alive, but they're dead now, so I can say it. And screw you, Norman Mailer. You shouldn't have stolen from my father's books. Served you right. Anyway, so he's being interviewed by Barbara Walters, and she says, Maurice, you've interviewed many of the world's most beautiful women. Who do you think was the most beautiful? And he said, well, Barbara, 
Attraction is a very funny thing. Yes, they were beautiful, but to me, the most beautiful woman in the world was my former wife, Charlotte Zalatow. <laughs> and, oh. you know, funny and sweet, but also pretty freaking manipulative because for weeks people were calling her and saying, are you crazy? Remarry him, go back to him, go back to him. And she didn't want to go back to him. <laughs> so all by way of saying for so long, and although we don't like it, most of us to some extent still the one automatic power that is given to you as a woman if you meet that rare little half of one percent if you win the genetic lottery and maybe have some plastic surgery on the side you're young and you're gorgeous and men will actually listen to you shut up and listen to you and you know people turn you get power and so for women to disown that, even presently, it's complicated. Yes. It's very complicated until, you know, at times I wish we were all blind or wore paper bags over our heads so we could just deal with, are people kind? Are they smart? Are they funny? You know, but we don't. We go on appearance. We think that the shade of your skin makes you smarter or stupider or bad or good. Or we think that someone that is physically deformed is emotionally or intellectual. You know, we do terrible things on the basis of outer stuff that doesn't last anyway. No, so, it doesn't. I forget how we fell down that rabbit hole. Oh, that's all right. And if we went too, if we went too far down that rabbit hole, you know, that's what Cindy does for us. <laughs> well, and you know, you know, um, you know it is all the same ball of wax. It's looking at changes. Yes. When I looked at, when I read uh, will it be okay? Uh, will I, will it be okay this morning? I thought this is really a lesson. So many things, but it's a lesson about changes, mm -hmm. and also it's a lesson about changes and how you look at things. Okay, yes. and because everything that happens that scares you, it's like a gift in really weird, weird, horrible wrapping paper. You know? Yes. Like, how do you unwrap that and get? to what you know it's like a moldy spiky awful wrapping paper that you don't even want to touch that you kind of go ew but <laughs> if you engage with it what it gives you and that's another reason why i just that's why the old fairy tales always had evil people evil kings and wicked witches and you know, terrible, you know, uh, uh, gingerbread houses that look good, but they invite <laughs> you in and they're going to cook you, you know, really? <laughs> How is this? But it helps children cope with the reality that anything can happen to anyone at any, they don't do it to scare you other than to scare you in the service of the story, which is the story of all of us living through life. Well, when I have been reliving decades of my life in some writings and with my new therapist, I walk away sometimes and I'm not kidding you. All I can think about is, I think, man, that was a present I didn't see. Or if that wasn't the best gift I ever got in the moldy wrapping paper. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, uh, you know, my first marriage was a very, it was 23 years long. My husband died suddenly in an accident and, you know, it was a really good marriage. But nonetheless, we married young and there was at one point when he had an affair and it was awful. 
Sure. And by the way, to this day, when I think about what I am most proud of, I just was recalling this yesterday. I wondered, was this still true? It still is true. When I think about the things that I am most proud of, it's not the 54 published books that everybody goes, wow, 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 about. It's that I stayed in that marriage. That's I didn't say, well, screw it. I didn't walk out. I, I, my immediate thought is, what is my ownership in this? Because every marriage is two people. So, you know, I, I thought, all right, you know, I have to look at what my side of the street is on that. And we worked really hard in therapy and out. And we ended in such a radiant place. And I remember one night I was, it was in my old house that we shared in Eureka. And I was standing in the doorway to the kitchen. He was in the kitchen. And we said some, I don't even remember what it was we said, but we looked at each other and I could almost see an arch of light wow. between us. And I looked at him and I said, if it took the affair to get us here, then bless the affair. That's right. And I couldn't believe, cause I had cried so hard. I had thrown things. I'm not a thrower. I mean, like six months after that, I saw what, what is this on the, on the painting on the wall? I had thrown <laughs> a plate of hummus and so it splashed on one corner of the painting. And, and so, you know, the most, and, and, you know, death, and grief is through, and you know, somehow that somehow made the path possible for, you know, we had like a year and a half after that. And then you went out bicycling and got hit by a car and died. And end of, end of that story, except not end. What do you do with grief? What do you do with that much love? You have to give some away. Yes. And, you know, so I found different ways to love. And then to my astonishment, Eventually, I wound up remarrying. And, you know, once again, I'm in relationship school and it's deeply satisfying and deeply wondrous to me. So with Will It Be Okay? Um, Tell us one thing now. Who published it? So when people go to look for it? It is published by Cameron Kids, okay. an imprint of Abrams. Okay. Um, and you and can always check your... Stores? Uh, it is in bookstores. Its official publication date is September the 6th. Um, they can pre-order on Amazon, or if they do not like the Scarlet A, they can go to their local bookstore, or they can, um, you know, you can go online, Indie Books, you can find a bookstore. If you order it through, if you go on Indie Books and you order through Pearl's Books in Fayetteville, Arkansas, they will send it to you and I can sign it. If, if you really want to sign one, go to Indie Indie Books. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna check and send that to you. They may use one that's different from Indie, but if you even Google and call Pearl's Books, Fayetteville, oh. Arkansas, um, they'll they'll do it and they'll track me down and you'll get it signed. Um, but you know, also teaches, I just want to say, and all this information, Cindy puts this up and it's, it was on our, and you have a website and Cindy always puts it on the Women Beyond a Certain Age page. Thank you, Cindy. Uh, Crescent also has an online writing course besides going to different places and teaching writing. So if, uh, see, I think at this age, I think as we, in our, I call them my golden years, as I'm reaching my golden years, 
Um, I just think that writing can be, whether it gets published or not, writing can be instrumental in helping you enjoy your life and learn about your life. So Crescent, you're always an inspiration to me. Thank you. Thank you. I too, I teach basically two different classes online. One is called Tuesdays with Crescent and it's six to eight sessions, one night a week on Tuesdays. And that's basically just a writing class. I talk a little bit. I throw out a form of writing and a topic and we just, it's all first draft. It's not critique. It's not, you know, and you're not writing for any reason, but to write and to watch people discover what's in them when you take away the pressure of having to be significant, you know, Absolutely. it turns out you're way more significant when you're not trying. So, you know, I can give out a prompt like buttons and people land on remembering their mother buttoning their snowsuit for them yeah. or They'll go to political buttons and they'll remember working for the McGovern campaign or they'll remember someone seducing them and unbuttoning their blouse um, and their fear that they were wearing an ugly bra because they didn't think that was going to happen. <laughs> and, and so, you know, writing is very generous. So anyway, there's GWC. Yeah. And although I was planning to take a break from teaching until until February because of these two new books out. I think I have been talked into doing TWC in October. We'll see. And then the other one I teach is Fearless Writing. Right. You know, Fearless, my favorite thing. Um, and it doesn't make you not feel fear, but it does make you fear less because it shows you how fear works and that it is a great gift in very ugly wrapping paper. And so that's very much, we do a lot of writing in it, but it's very much about dealing with the pro things that surface in the process of writing. And probably three quarters of the people who've taken it say to me at the end, you know, it's about writing, but it's about everything. And yes. it, it really is. I mean, everything I need to know in life, I pretty much learned from writing. I learned yeah. how to love, how to persist, how to not be stopped by rejection. I learned I learned to ask myself, I guess, will it be okay? And then find a way to assure that somehow, some way it, it would be. So, you know, it's a great honor to have this book back. And I love, and Jessica loves pictures too. When this child is angry, when she's embarrassed, when she's worried, when she's having fun, you really see the picture in, in her face. Oh are, gosh. So it's so darling. It's vibrant. It's fun to it's fun to read. It's it's memorable. Yeah. Will I be okay? Coming down September 6th, coming out again. Crescent, thank you so what? much. As always, we're gonna do another podcast with Crescent because we like her. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, as as it says in the book. One of her questions that she asks is, but what if someone doesn't like me? Oh, in the original that was, but what if someone hates me? Oh, okay. You better, you better switch that. That's so yes, so I, changed, I changed it to, but what if someone doesn't like me? You feel lonely and sad. Acknowledging the feelings. You feel lonely and sad. You walk and walk until you come to a small pond you kneel in the grass by the edge of this pond and you see something move. You put out your hand 
and a tiny frog, no bigger than a thumbnail, hops into it. Very carefully, you lift your hand to your ear and the frog whispers, other people love you. <laughs> Maybe that person, other people like you. Maybe that person will like you again. Maybe not. In any case, you're likable and lovable and it is all right. Because a frog tells you this, you believe it. So even if a frog doesn't tell your listeners that, listeners, I would like to say, a dragon just told you, That's you're likable, you're lovable, and you can believe it. <laughs> you saved, I'm telling you, saved, you saved a very confused woman this morning. And that would be me in it. Yes, guess what? It's all okay. There you go. Now, if people want to speak to Crescent or reach out to Crescent or take one of her classes, all that information is always on the woman beyond a certain age. Under the podcast, Cindy takes care of everything. So, honey, thank you. She does. She does. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, not proud of it. It's fine. Cindy takes care it's of fine. it. And uh, that just, it's, it, I don't often say this because people say it to me all the time and it isn't always true, but I actually thought, that's a wonderful title for something. Cindy takes care of everything. Cindy's <laughs> the everything. I always said that to people. I'd say, oh, Cindy's my everything. <laughs> Crescent, thank you. My um, pleasure. If you have questions for any any of us, or you want to make comments, we get some lovely private comments. People aren't comfortable putting things up on the site, and I understand that. It's womenbeyond at iCloud.com. And uh, thank you, Miss Cindy, and thank you, Crescent. I know how busy you are now with the relaunch of these two books. Thank you for everything. My pleasure. Here we are. Thank Celebrate. you. Bye-bye.